Welcome to episode number 33 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And this week, we welcome in a special guest, someone I had the pleasure of meeting at BetBash in New Jersey earlier this year, another professional sports better, Drew. You can follow him on Twitter, at ArmenianBetter. Drew, good to see you again. We're obviously recording this over video, but uh, it's been a while. Still looking uh, pretty smooth over there. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you too, man. Our, it has been a while. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a bit. I mean, we had some good times in Jersey. That was a, a great event. I'm very much looking forward to Bet Bash two in Vegas in early April. But uh, Drew, let's get into it here. for For the people that don't know, we like uh, don't know much about you. We like to get into betting background. So just give people a little bit of a background on, on where you came from, how you got involved in, in sports betting. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I've been kind of all over the place. I won't dive too deep into anything that's not betting related. I mean, I worked in restaurants, I traded stocks, I've been in sales. Um, I was living in Florida for for a year back in 2017. And I had an opportunity to come back home to Vegas, I grew up in Vegas, and came back to Vegas, got a house. Uh, my now betting partner, Haru, he, uh, he was one of my roommates. And when I moved back, I was still, you know, in sales, selling solar and doing a couple of other things. And we just kind of started getting serious about betting. I mean, I'd always been interested in betting, uh, even in my younger days, but more so on the recreational side. Um, But we just kind of started uncovering things at a pretty quick pace. And here's where we are today. So for those who don't know, Drew mentioned his betting partner, Haru. Uh, he was uh, on this podcast earlier uh, this year. Um, I believe it was one of yeah one of the earlier episodes. Bet Like Harut is his uh, handle as well. And he's uh, partners with Drew on the betting side as well as some uh, some other investments as we'll ho- hopefully get into. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know these guys on Twitter, give them a follow. Uh, these guys are some of the best in the business. Some of the best traders I've ever met. I'm happy to obviously call them uh, my friends as well. So Drew... First question we wanted to ask you in terms of that is um, we ask a lot of guests this. Some of our guests are, you know, professional bettors. Some are more, you know, media style bettors where they like to get down, but really their primary job is like a media network or whatever. I know you and Haru, you guys are full-time bettors. Like I said, some of the best in the business and and really specializing in, you know, market trading. So I wanted to, I wanted you to give basically a little background on like what your operation is, what you guys do, and then like how, how you guys are so successful. Sure. I mean, our operation, we've been at it for, I would say, a little over three years, almost four years. And uh, it's changed drastically. Um, it's just been an evolution, really. Uh, we started out with just me and Harut. And I mean, some of the things in the early days, we just look back at it and laugh, you know. Um, but we we were in the very beginning, you know, we, we didn't even have a down best screen. Um, you know, I had, it's funny, I had my dad build a, before we even had a Don Best, I had my dad build a, a Google sheet that was actually pulling lines from Vegas Insider at the time. Like you think about it now and you know, the, the type of betting we're doing now, is just kind of silly. But at the time, like we didn't have that. I didn't, we couldn't even really afford Don Best. Um, but obviously it's evolved into what it is now. We were, we would be using kind of like a, hybrid Kelly staking model. And today, you know, things are obviously a lot different. Um, but, you know, we've, we've kind of evolved um, 
And really our philosophy is that this game revolves heavily on uh, three main things really is information, technology, and how much you can get down, which is accounts. So we've just been really focusing on improving on all three, all three of those areas. Um, and yeah, we do a lot of market trading, but a lot of it is like working with partners who have really good info. Um, and I think a good combination of that allows us to maximize uh, our, our earnings. That's interesting. I, I, I want to touch on, so you talked a little bit about your history and then kind of moving into your partnership with Harut. At some point, you have to make the leap from one profession to another. And for a lot of people, and I get this question all the time, it's one of the biggest DMs I get on Twitter is, how do you make that leap? How do you know when you actually have something that's worthwhile where you can quit your regular profession and pursue sports? And I'm interested, Drew, what was it for you that allowed you to take that leap? Was it just the, the fact that you're more of a risk taker and you were willing to do that? Or was there something where some sort of light bulb went off that said, if we can repeatedly do this, uh, like a certain thing, then we can be successful in the long run? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, it's not easy, that's for sure. Uh, I think there can there comes a point in time where, you know, your regular day job gets in the way of your, your you know, kind of like your dream and what has a lot more potential. You know, so we were doing this in the very beginning. I mean, it was very hard. I was like, I was in commission only sales. So if I didn't sell anything, I wasn't making any money. So I'm doing that. And then all of the rest of my time, I'm betting sports and we're making good money betting sports for, for the time and for the bankroll that we had. But the goal was to grow the bankroll so that we can make really good money. Uh, so we weren't really taking any profits from from betting early on and there just came a time well i mean having a partner is also very very like beneficial too because for many reasons but you know when i'm not around you know harut was holding it down and all that stuff while i was working but there just came a time where you know my job was getting in the way um i you know if one of the things is like if you wait for the perfect time that that time may never come so you just kind of got to take that leap and in the beginning of going full-time in betting sports, like it was tough, not tough in the sense that, you know, we weren't making money because money was being made for sure. It's just, we wanted it to grow at a fast rate. So I didn't want to touch it. So it was just kind of like, okay, I know I'm making money. I'm okay with, um, you know, leveraging credit to allow this to grow because the rate of return I'm making betting sports is much higher than the rate of return I'd be paying on a credit card to pay my living expenses. So why would I pull money from my betting bankroll when I'm able to I'm able to capitalize on that? Yeah, I get that. I think one of the biggest things and one of the biggest challenges for people who are betting is to scale the operation. I think what you're talking about there is um is a common problem for people. I mean that that's another we get this in the Q&As that myself and Johnny do probably once every few months, but it's like when do you pull a per certain percentage of your bankroll? How often are you pulling money from it? And it's like, um, from my end, my, my gambling money, it's like I almost don't, won't even see it until I'm time, it's time to wrap up and retire because it's just constantly being 
you know, put into action. So, uh, I think that's something that definitely separates, uh, professionals from a lot of the recreational betters or, uh, even like a semi-pro who's pulling more often. Uh, you talk about the partnership with Harut. I think it's very interesting. We've had a lot of people, uh, on this pod who are in partnerships with other people. Uh, I'm in a partnership with someone else who, um, kind of showed me the ropes many years ago. I'm curious, and I'm, I don't want you to throw Harut under the bus. That's not what this is about. We always talk about the positives of the partnerships. I'm wondering in the early going, if there was any, you can think of any negatives or any struggles where you guys couldn't see eye to eye on a certain thing, potentially wanted to go into di- go in different directions, like anything where potentially the partnership was maybe more, uh, I don't want to say catastrophic is not the right word. I'm horrible with vo- vocabulary, but where it was just like, you know what? thoughts of maybe I can do this on my own type of thing. You know, believe it or not, like we're very lucky because in this, in this specific partnership, I've never really had like, like we're both very reasonable people. And I think that's kind of what's helped us keep the partnership healthy. Um, I think the biggest thing, the, the biggest struggle in the very beginning was me having a job and, you know, not, not being able to be full time like that first like four five six months um because you know he was working a little bit more than i was and i just i just didn't feel good about it but it wasn't like us not seeing eye to eye it was more so of like me knowing that like all right i need to take that leap um so I think we, I, I mean, man, we, we really agree on just about everything. If, if there's something that I, I say something or I believe something and someone can reasonably prove to me that like, okay, no, this is a better way of doing it. I'm very like open to, I'm open to differing opinions basically. Um, and so is he. And I think that's the reason why things have been so good uh, with him and I. Um, I'm trying to think of something to give you, but I really can't like, no, that's good. I know these guys, I know these guys, Rob, and I'll tell you right now, like, that's not even a cop out answer by Drew. Like these guys are like brothers and it's uh, refreshing to see in this industry, like the partnership they have, because I think within any partnership doesn't have to be sports betting related, like any business you're going to grow or even just like a simple, um, like even a non-business partnership you might have with someone on like a small venture or something like that. The, the main issues always in my opinion arise from from two things the first is work ethic by a mile right so like if one if one person's working really hard and the second person's not working hard then there's almost no way you're going to get along because that can only last for a little bit of time so these guys are both hard workers and as are, are, are you and that's why you know you have no issues with with your partner as well and then the second thing i've always noticed is like greed is a pretty big factor in terms of like people getting in arguments with themselves. So like if you grow something with someone from the very bottom and you split everything with them, so it's like this whole business, 50-50, it's ours. We're growing everything. If we're going to make a separate investment, we're going to make it together. If we're going to do something else, we're going to do it together. Then that eliminates the ability for someone to get greedy. Like, And then for somebody to say, oh, well, you invested your profits in here and and 10 extra money and I invested my money here and I lost it all. And now like you have more than me and and yada, yada. Like it's the worst thing to deal with and obviously sucks. And it's human nature that people, you know, sometimes think like that. But uh, like if, if those two things are set aside, like arguments in a partnership are like few and far between if you can X out those two. And I think these guys have and I know everyone on this call is like trying to work towards those things to make it a lot better. 
yeah, I yeah, think, I think from, from a philosophical perspective, as long as you and your partner are seeing eye to eye, and you kind of see have the same vision, it's not an issue. There's obviously breakdowns in partnerships where somebody wants to take something in one direction or the other, and then you get the individual one-off bets. Like, I, I go to the bet stamp office a couple times every week. I see Johnny and Julian at work every now and then, and Johnny be like, I'm firing on this. And Julian's like, dude, that's a bad bet, man. Like, don't make And Johnny's like, you just got to trust me, man. Trust me, it's a good bet. And that works. And the same thing happens with me where I look at my tracking sheet every day. I see my partner bet something. I'd be like, yo, like, why, why did you bet this? Like, this is a net. He's like, you just got to trust me, man. Like, I, I, this is a good bet. And as long as you're able to trust your partner, I think that um, that's fine. But I, I, I do like the partnership aspect of it. I do think that there's more pros and cons. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Drew, but that's something that's obviously we share rationale and stuff of as to why you're doing something so that other person can learn and stuff like that. But Rob's right. Sometimes you just have to like close your eyes and be like, all right, I trust it. It's, it's going to be okay. Okay. You mentioned, um, the, the Vegas insider stuff that you got your dad to build, which was pretty funny. So obviously like I do the same thing. I look back on even stuff I said, even three or four years ago. And I'm like, I can't believe I said that stuff because you're constantly learning, right? You never know it all. You're, you're constantly learning, but I'm curious, like it, it kind of ties into the closing question we have in this podcast, but it, like, if you could go back and, and give some key, like key pieces of advice that you wish you knew as a beginner, when you got into this space, that would have made like a big difference for you at the time. What are some things that you could think of? Well, I mean, you know, I, like, like you mentioned, like looking back at some of the things that, you know, you did years ago and just kind of laughing at it, you know, being naive and not knowing certain things, but, you know, you got to remember everyone that's an expert at some point was a novice and a beginner. So, you know, like nobody just pops out knowing everything. So some people, they find, they figure things out, you know, young in their lives. Some people never figure things out. Um, so I always keep that in mind, but I mean, what I would tell myself back, back when, like before I even moved to Florida is, you know, like reading books and understanding that how this game is actually played, you got to play with an edge. And it's really more of a mindset shift than anything else. Like I talked to recreational betters because I mean, everyone, everyone around me, like friends and family knows that I do this professionally. So I, I'm sure you guys know. People are always trying to talk to you about betting sports. Oh, who's going to win tonight? Who, what's the lock of the day? And it's the, the biggest like flaw that recreational betters have is that they, they try to figure out who's going to win this game. And that's not how the game is played. Bingo. So I think, I think the biggest thing I would tell my young self, because I was betting, like I said, I was betting before, before I even moved away and got into sales and did all that stuff. I could have started doing this in my early 20s and be in a completely different spot I am today. Um, but I didn't understand that aspect of it. The, the, the mindset shift of like, it's not, it's not about who's going to win this game. It's about, you know, just the, the probability of things occurring. So do you yeah, find so you your mention? I just want to jump in really quickly because something you hit on there with talking about how your friends and family are always asking you questions. Do you find that they actually listen to you? Like you, they know you're a professional better. They know what you do for a living. Do you find that when they seek out your advice, they actually listen to it? It's very hard for people to, to, to take that advice. I mean, I tell people all the time, like, what do you think is the likelihood that such and such team is going to win? And it's really hard for people to put a number on it as opposed to say, I think these guys are going to cover. 
Mm -hmm. I've explained how it works. It's not rocket science, right? I've explained the, the general concept to, to multiple people, but you know, like, like uh, my sister's fiance, like he, he came over the other day and he saw, I don't know, it was like a couple of weeks ago and he saw we had a bet on the Giants and obviously like, he's like, oh, why would you bet on the Giants? They fucking suck and all this stuff. And it's like, dude, it's all about the number you get. That's what really matters. And he's like, yeah, but like it lost. So it's not a good bet. And I'm like, that's not how it works. You know, so it's like, um, I think, I think grasping that concept for a lot of people, mainly recreational people, is very hard. Obviously, for professionals, it's easy. like once once that light bulb goes off, like you get it and it makes sense. But um, for for your average Joe, I think that's the reason why a lot of people lose. Yeah, I'm the same same boat as you. A lot of people ask me, and then uh, like Rob saying, not really willing to listen to like what the answer is. So the the go to that I do now is like listen, you want to bet on sports recreationally, like, you know, even if you're expecting to lose money and you're doing it for fun, or you're trying to win best advice is just get shop around, open up a couple accounts and just get the best number. And then, you know, they're still not going to understand really the concept of expected value and like getting, um, a certain number and not necessarily a certain team, but at least if they're shopping around, I'm confident in that they have a shot to win, you know, over the course of a year. Cause if you, if you're just betting for fun with your heart and you're only using one out, like, you're you're toast like there's almost no one who could win even over a course of a full year if you're betting every day so yeah that's that's awesome um go ahead rob i find there's just something with the sports fan and the ego that comes with it where everybody thinks that they know everything regardless um and i have friends who are like very close friends of mine who are have lost astronomical amounts of money over their lifetime that probably wouldn't even admit that they've lost that money over their lifetime whether it's Again, the ego thing where they just don't want to be like, I'm a sports fan, I should be winning money, or they don't even recognize it. Um, but I, 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 the only reason I asked you that question, Drew, is because it like it really hits home for me because I'll watch an NFL Sunday with my entire group of friends. We're talking about bets. I'm trying to explain to somebody why they made a really bad bet that might have ended up winning, and they just completely don't grasp. They're like, well, it won. I, I have the money in my account. It won. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but like you paid a huge premium where you could have got this price somewhere else or whatever. And, and I, I don't know that we're ever going to get to the point where um, there's enough educational content out there or not even that there's enough educational content, but enough people want to hear that. That's part of the goal of this podcast. But um, it's just interesting to me because like I've yet to interview someone who says, yeah, I'm a pro and all the people around me, like they want to listen to what I have to say and they try to remodel their approach based off what I tell them. It's never like that. It's just like, yeah, my friends just keep doing the same things no matter what. So I, I found that interesting. Um, let's get Drew, into your so approach. Yeah. Hold up one second here, Drew. So you, you mentioned uh, off the top, like the game is really like three parts, like three pieces. You said number one is information. Number two is technology. And number three is you said like basically accounts, ability to get down. Uh, I think probably you can just call that like scaling. So, you know, if you could, if you have good information and you have the technology to do it, but you can only bet like $20, it's not going to be a career that obviously. So I was going to ask you of those three keys to success in sports betting, what do you think is the hardest to replicate? So which one are you guys like, what's the hardest to actually replicate of the three? Um, I guess it really depends who you are, right? So, because if you have if you have a background in modeling then it's not that hard to to you know create a good model or if you you know if you have a big following on twitter it's not that hard to get a lot of accounts or 
you know, if you're if you're a developer, you can develop good uh, tools and technology. Um, I think I think the technology side is probably the easiest because a lot of that you can you know, like for example, like Dom Best, you can buy. Uh, there's a lot of different robots that you can lease, um, and a lot of different ways that you can automate your business, which is you know some of the things that we've been focusing on. But um, I think the two hardest um would probably be you know being able to get down and having good information um because i think they go hand in hand for sure and you know it, i i believe that it's a team sport um it's hard for people to be really good at all of those things so you know you work with partners you work with other people that are strong in the areas that you're not uh and and I'm not really one to say that what I do is greater or harder to do than what someone else is doing. I think, I think depending on who you are, something might be your area of expertise versus not. So we, we like to work with people who are strong in areas that, you know, we technically aren't, but there's also areas that we're really strong in that other people aren't. When you, when you talk about getting good information, Drew, is that stuff that's exclusive to you? Or do you find that there's like a challenge where everybody's kind of getting all of that, that same information at once? Well, I mean, if there's an edge out there and it's a sizable edge, it's likely that we're not the only ones that are seeing it, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of the times it's the fight to get down on, on certain things, especially in like college basketball. Um, you know, you, I think the challenge that comes at this point in the game is like trying to get down quietly, get a lot down quietly. But, you know, someone's ruining the market before a lot of the shops start even hanging lines and you got guys, you know, stealing information, stuff like that. You know, they see they see you bet something in one of your accounts. You know, if someone knows who's betting in an account, if I'm betting in an account, there's eyes on that account and they know that we win. They could take that information and go ruin the market to get, you know, a couple hundred bucks down. Like, that's not really our goal. You know, we, we aim to get like six figure positions down as much as much as possible. And some some uh, markets, it's a lot easier than others. You know, the, the highly liquid markets like soccer, NBA, NFL, it's not that much of a challenge. But if I'm trying to get money down on extra game CBB, um, it's not it's not so easy, you know? Yeah. So of the of the three, also, I, I agree with Drew, by the way, that the technology is probably the easiest also, because like you said, there's a lot of stuff just out there where you could buy or lease or outsource and things like that. From the information all the way to the ability to get down and the ability to get accounts, I think one thing, one skill that's vital that Drew is, is very good at is relationship building. Because and I guess you can ask anyone in any industry who's ever built any success, successful business and they'll tell you that relationship building is very important. But in this case, um, it's kind of like the oldest, the oldest thing in the book, right? Like the barter system. Like, okay, I got this. I'll give you this in return. Give me back this and we'll figure it out and we'll all grow together. So relationship building, I just want to add for all the listeners, is probably the most important thing in sports betting, like work ethic, relationship building. If you can get the, like if you can offer something up to somebody and provide value for both of you, in all likelihood, if you're a hard worker and you're trustworthy, they're going to accept that. You're going to be able to grow your network, scale up your business, and help others scale theirs together. So that's a huge, hugely important thing in this space as well that oftentimes doesn't go, um, you know, goes under the radar. 
Drew, where are you finding your biggest edges nowadays? Like depends on who we talk to. Some people are like, you know, I'm just I'm just basically monitoring news for all the major leagues. I get down on any change and that's been working really well for me. Some are like paying attention to specific markets that maybe are going unnoticed. What for you right now do you think is you know, obviously I want to be sensitive of what you guys do and you don't have to give away too like too many specifics here, but just curious what what you think is one of your biggest edges now. Yeah, I mean we kind of attack every market slightly differently. Um, some markets we work with uh, partners that are just really talented originators. Other markets, it's just us knowing the tendency of how a lot of the teams hit get hit. And that's, you know, with the amount of time we've spent on screen over the past few years. Um, I would say it's, it's a toss-up between – I mean, the major soccer leagues are, are really, like – they're the most liquid markets in the world. I mean, right. you see the pinnacle closing line on some of this Champions League stuff, and it's it's pretty respectable. You know, they're taking million dollar bets on a lot of stuff, and you know, so I would say soccer. We tend to have a really big edge in soccer. Um, college basketball. I mean, there's nothing like it. The volume of games every day is just it's great, and the number of you know the 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 moves that happen, especially on the totals, is is enough for us to have a really big edge. Um, but also tennis, uh, you know, how do actually originates WTA? Um, and I think last I looked at his, his stats and he's, he's going to be putting it on bet stamp um, or he already has, I can't remember, but he, he's running over 7% ROI, oh, nice. about, about like 3% CLV, 7% ROI. So, I mean, and that's without modeling anything. He's just, you know, he's he's just looking at the games. He knows the players. Um, so I, I would say those three. We bet we bet some football, but like I'm not really a big fan of it to be honest for various reasons. Money's tied up for too long, and it's just it's just messy. Uh, I would say CBB, NBA is NBA is also obviously really good, but you know that's largely. Uh, due to you know our our access to the technology we have and and injury news really like a bulk of the best edges in NBA are injury related you know um, I would say those those are probably our biggest edges. So with football, when you say the money's tied up too long, you just don't want to basically make a bet on Wednesday, have to wait till Sunday. You'd be better off using that credit on a daily league, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if it's if it's somewhere in Vegas, I don't have a problem with betting that, but you know, I can utilize credit a lot more efficiently uh, than, than betting it on football. I can put all the credit to work every day without having to play football. You know, it, uh, to me, it's just kind of like, it's small, you know, it's not really like, obviously, unless it's like football game is on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and I'm betting it one, two days out and there's some injury news there, then yeah, I'll bet that. Um, but if it's like Monday, there's a full college basketball week. I'm not betting, you know, I'm not betting something that crosses through three or seven. Uh, that's on Saturday. It's just to me, it's like, yeah, it's, it's it, there's an edge there, but there's there's better edges to be had. So it's kind of got to be mindful of that. Yep. It's definitely about making the most money and not uh, making the best ROI. So if you can churn something over on a smaller edge six, seven times before the one bet's going to grade, you'll make way more money. 
even though your uh, edge is going to be lower. We're also going to reduce variance in the account as well. So that's another good thing is being able to, you know, reduce variance and then give as many winning weeks as possible uh, for your partners and things like that. Uh, Drew, we want to get into the second topic here. It's not betting related. Anyone who hates NFTs, you know, feel free to skip to the end or skip this section. But um, Drew, you are obviously a successful sports better and a great mar uh, like market reader, trader, whatever you want to call it in sports. And I know recently you've um, basically delved into the NFT space and also tried to reapply a lot of those skills in investing there. So we have a lot of listeners and a lot of guests that have come on that are that are very bullish on NFTs. And then we have others who, you know, don't uh, really understand it or are, are claimed, you know, are to be very bearish on NFTs um, is they think it's kind of stupid or whatever, whatever you want to call it, whatever plus CV analytics said. So what I want to uh, what I want to ask you just first general question is we know from your Twitter you love NFTs and you're very bullish on the market. Can you give a little summary of why that is the case? I'm always interested in hearing unique perspectives. Sure. Um, I mean, at first I didn't really know a lot about NFTs until you actually, Johnny. You told us about CryptoPunks and that kind of like took me down a rabbit hole and we're just like looking at stuff and seeing what's out there and i think one of my one of my biggest reasons that i have conviction in nfts is actually several years back like we, before i even started betting um i had met someone who was like a vp of some company uh that was in town for ces just the the like the computer electronic convention that comes to town every year and when I meet someone successful, I always like to ask them, you know, what, you know, what do you think is the future? What do you think is the next big thing? And he said, VR, virtual reality, like we're going to be heading into a digital age. People are going to be able to do things that they were never capable of doing. Like someone's on their deathbed. They never got a chance to go to Paris, for example. You put on a headset, you'll be able to walk through a city or a country that you always dreamed of going to. So you know, keeping that in the back of my mind, you know, and I'm seeing this NFT stuff explode. It's just more and more evident to me that it's kind of just heading in that direction. Um, there's a lot of drawbacks to the marketplace that I that I do recognize and I acknowledge, but um, I think that it's just kind of like really, really early in that space because a lot of people still don't even know what it is. A lot of people still don't even understand it. Um, you know, when the internet was first being introduced, there was a lot of the very similar uh, responses by the general public. And some people made a lot of money in the dot-com boom and a lot of people lost a lot of money. And I don't think this will be much different. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of people that make money and a lot of people that are going to lose money. But it all really boils down to, you know, how skilled you are in, in investing and, and, and finding things that you believe are going to do well. Do you still think that we're very much in the infancy of NFTs? Like, I agree with you. I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are left holding the bag on a lot of these projects. My personal opinion is that we're still pretty far away from that being the case. I think the same will happen with crypto eventually too. You look at all these altcoins, which you know they'll they'll pump for months, and then uh, at some point somebody's got to realize that not, they don't have value, right? Uh, I'm just thinking that we're still like many many years away from that. I agree that we're many many years away from that. Um, you know, the the thing is is that it's 
it's easy to create an NFT. I wouldn't say easy because obviously I haven't done it, but like my point is, is that there, there's a lot of saturation that's going to happen in the market. So what was working five, six, seven months ago is not really going to work today or tomorrow or in the next few months, uh, simply because as more people become aware, it's just like sports betting, you know, the, the, the more something becomes known, edges kind of get diminished, right, right. Over, the, yep. over the years. And, um, you know, you have to be able to adapt. And that's kind of one of the things that's, that's helped us is, is our ability to adapt to the changes in the market. What we were doing two, three years ago, betting sports, we're not doing that anymore. Like, we don't, we don't are, we don't middle, we don't, uh, we don't really chase steam, to be honest with you, as, uh, uh, contrary to popular belief. And so with that being said, like when, with NFTs, when things change, the people who, who succeed are the ones that can see the changes and that can make adjustments in real time. Uh, and I think that's kind of what's, what's helped us in both spaces, to be honest with you. Uh, what, we, what we were doing when we first started buying NFTs, we're not doing the same thing now. So I think, I think that's really what, what separates a lot of people. And the reason why there's a lot of, um, you know, people that don't like NFTs or don't believe in NFTs or people that are going to talk negatively about it is probably because of all the stories that are heard of people losing money. But the truth is people lose money in every industry. There's winners and there's losers in every industry in betting, NFTs, in the housing market, in the stock market. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not a lucrative uh, industry to be in. That doesn't mean that there isn't money to be made. If you're looking at an NFT project now, let's say you're, you're you know, I know you have a quite a diverse part portfolio of NFTs. I'm not going to get into every single one of them, but we've talked about this off air before. But if you're looking to invest in a project now, what's something that you're you're going to look for? Something that would draw you to a specific NFT project or get you excited about it? Well, I mean, we've we've seen we've seen some success in the NFT space, and and you know we. we saw something we did some things that didn't work and then we did some things that did so you know we kind of want to replicate the things that did work um and make sure that that those strategies actually still work today so with the saturation of the market you know we're not really too big on buying a lot of new stuff that's coming out unless we're very very strong and confident that it's going to do well so if something new is coming out you know it has to be backed by a lot of uh, people that we respect in the space. Um, you know, the development team is very important, um, but above all is, is utility because the simple profile picture is just not gonna cut it anymore. That's been, that, that concept has been poured out a lot already uh, and, and it's gonna get old fast. So we look for utility. What, what use is this going to bring to people outside of just a simple picture? Now, you know, CryptoPunks, they were the first. So I think those will hold its value and actually continue to go up over the years. But anything new that's coming out, anything from here on out, like it's got to have some kind of utility for sure. I think that's the biggest thing. But also the development team and the community, strong community is also very important because the community is what gets basically gets the word out for you. You know, a lot of these NFT projects, like some of them will have marketing. I'm not really a big fan of the NFTs that are backed by influencers because that's just, to me, it seems like a money grab. 
but a strong community is going to talk about your NFT every day uh, on Twitter. And that's kind of what helps grow the buzz in that space efficiently, I think. Um, I'm, I'm interested in a lot of what you talked about. I think there's a lot of overlap between the way you read the NFT market and potentially the way that you read a sports market, as an example. Do you think that there's a fundamental advantage or that you've, you've succeeded so well in the NFT market because of the sports betting background? Like, do you think that that was an inherent advantage for you? I think so. I think, I think being able to, to read like directional movement and, and just kind of seeing price history. Cause you know, we do, we do a lot of the same thing in the sports betting space. You know, you see the, you see the directional movement of the price history and who's buying what, how things are getting hit. And it just kind of, it allows you to make a, a, a prediction. Now you're not always going to be right. Obviously sometimes, Sometimes it's, you're wrong, but if you're right more often than you're wrong, then that's really what matters most. So I think I think it does. I think I think it does have a direct correlation because I mean you can get lucky once or twice with certain things, but if you're consistently picking winners over a large sample, then it's not really luck, right? So I think I think that that has a lot to do with it too. I'll give you guys an example of a similarity. So if you look at sports, everyone can understand the concept of, you know, the Lakers sign a player, they sign LeBron James in the offseason, and now the Lakers value goes way up, right? So they go from being X, X uh, underdog to winning the NBA championship to becoming a favorite because they've signed a certain player. And that news is typically instant, right? So when that happens, a article, like a beat reporter will tweet that out right away and you have it. Contrary to that, you know, LeBron James is out for a game. It gets tweeted out right away and then anyone's able to see that news, read it right away and react to it. And within a matter of seconds, the market's now adjusted that. Within other industries like companies and within the NFT space, for example, sometimes you, you could look at each of these projects as like a specific team. So we look at like the Board Ape Yacht Club, which was a, you know, one of the most successful, if not the most successful project of all time uh, in such a short period of time. What they've done is built a team around that. So, you know, obviously a few people launched that project. And they've continued to hire, hire more and more people. So they've signed different people onto their team. They're announcing different things. And when we look at the NFT game, versus sports betting like when something like i said when lebron's out market's going to react within one second but if there's an announcement or something that comes out in the nft space sometimes it's not you know the market's not going to correct in one second it might take a matter of a day or two days and knowing the skills that knowing you know that everything is about the value and the number you get and the price you can buy and sell at things that drew mentioned earlier with the sports betting stuff is huge in terms of trading a different market. So even when you come to stocks, like you'll hear people talk about an airline stock and they'll say, oh, I think this uh, airline is undervalued because it you know, went down due to the COVID with everything with COVID and they stopped getting sales. And now this airline's undervalued and they're launching this new initiative and they're going to go up. Well, with the stocks, with that liquid market, like all that's already priced into the market. So you can't be buying a stock based on the fact that something that has already been public for three weeks, you think it's going to you know, be successful? Like that's a, a losing formula when we're looking at that. So when we're looking at the NFT space, if you can react to news and, and you might have an extra day to react to the news because the market's not as quick right now and it's very, it's very um, you know, new, 
But that's kind of like the what, what we're looking at when we see like, yeah, how can the skills from trading one market transfer to another? It's very simple concepts that you relate from one market to another that gives you a small edge that you can hopefully compound. And like Drew said, technology, information, and then eventually a, a ability to get down and continue to scale that and rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat builds you a successful business. What do you, what do you guys think? That's, uh, I guess my opinion might be a little bit bold. Yeah, I think a lot. I'll let Drew chime in here too, but I like the whole notion of buy low, sell high is like transferable across pretty much every market, right? Like you, you just don't want to, to buy something when it's at its peak price. And normally when you see things tend to run, and this happens in sports all the time too, particularly football, obviously, where you have like a week between games, you see a team blow another team out twice in a row. Typically, they're not going to be a good bet going forwards because the market is pricing them based off of those two games and not the entire body of work. So I, I think in general, um, all these different types of markets, there's all there's all sorts of transferable, transferable knowledge. And I think that's why when regulation started in the US, you started to see so many uh, people that were involved in typical uh, mar- stock market trading try to make the leap into sports betting because there's just th- that many transferable cr- concepts, Drew. Yeah, I think... You know, one of the things we talk about all the time is expected value concept is more of a lifestyle than anything else. You know, you you can apply it to just about everything in life and even things that aren't money related. Like what's the value of me, uh, you know, spending my time doing X versus Y? Uh, you know, it's it's something that can be transferred in just about any industry you can think of. We use the concept when we're buying cars. We use the concept when we're buying literally anything. Uh, outside of like small purchases, but yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's something that if you can, if you can understand it and you can apply it, then that's really what makes people wealthy. Uh, even, even people who don't know that they're applying it, they're applying it. people who are wealthy. Um, you know, that's why we decided to, to, to grow our operation the way that we did, because we believe it's the best EV. Uh, we have a full staff now. I don't know if we discussed that, but we we have a full staff. We got three other guys outside of me and Harut that are are you know unscrewing all the time. We got two developers that work for us on the back end, um, maximize the utility of our time so that we're not wasting our time doing things that can be delegated. How much longer do you want to do what you're doing, Drew? Like, is it is this? Um... For, for like, do you, first of all, I mean, this is a question that I think is fair to ask. Do you like what you do on a database day, daily basis? Like for some people like me, for example, it has, it's nothing to do with sports betting. This is just a means of making money for me. I'll make money wherever I can. It, it, it's not something that I love to do. So I'm curious, do you actually like doing what you're doing? And on top of that, what are the long-term plans for you? Like, you know, if you were to blow this up and make a ton of money over the course of the next five years, are you comfortable just walking away and saying, that's it, I'm going to live out the rest of my life and retire? Or is it one of those things where you just kind of like love the grind so much that you can't picture yourself even stopping? Yeah, we love it too much, man. We really <laughs> enjoy what we do. Um, it's not really really about the money anymore at this point. Like, I make, I make more than I can spend. Um you know, obviously we have long-term goals and as you grow, your vision gets a little bit bigger over time, right? You know, I, I remember the things that I dreamed to have, you know, five, six, seven years ago, and I have more than that now. And now my dreams are bigger. So I think uh, 
I think I think it's always going to be something that that we'll be involved in, whether I mean, we're, we're not doing it the same way we were three, four years ago. We have staff. So, you know, we retired the piss jars and now, you know, we don't have to <laughs> we don't have to sit on the computer screen as long as we are, even though we do like um, we schedule ourselves for, you know, I would say about 60 to 70 hours a week, but we're on, we're on a computer for more than that because when we're not betting, we're looking at other stuff, you know, how can we do, you know, how can we succeed doing this or how can we succeed doing that? So it's, I think, I think it's more of a lifestyle the the, our, our workaholic personalities, I think is something that will keep us in this game for, for a while. This is going to sound like a really dumb question. It probably is, but walk me through the process. If you want to take a two week vacation, what goes through your head? Like, is it like, cause I wrestle with this all the time too. Right. And I'm always like, man, if I get away for two weeks, who knows what I could miss in those two weeks? Like, do you, do you go through that same, do you even take time off? Like, do you, do you take a break at I any took point? time off in the summer? My girl and I went to Italy and Harrod and his wife went to Greece. Nice. And, um, we were gone. Because we went and Harvard went at the same time. And then our guys were basically running the ship. Now, you know, during, during the summer, it's kind of quiet. But there's still stuff to be bet on. There's still, you know, partners that we're accountable to. Um, we want to make sure that everything is running smoothly. So our guys were running everything and we were gone. Uh, but we, we went to Italy and then we, we all met up in Jersey and New York for, for Bet Bash. But by the end of it, like we were just burnt out, not from we, we were more burnt out from going on vacation than we get when we're actually working. Like um, it's more now it's like when we go on vacation, it probably won't be more than 10 days, honestly, because that more any more than 10 days and we just get restless, man. We, we want to work. Yeah, I get it. I mean, there's. I don't know what you guys are doing in Italy and Greece, but if it's one of those where you don't have like a couple of days to sit back and relax and you're doing a lot of traveling from place to place, and then you got the flight back home, like it, I, I can understand how that takes a toll out of you. But yeah, I hear people all the time. I, there's lots of pro betters that are like, I haven't taken a day off in like three years. And I'm like, well, that sounds miserable. Like, I mean, I, I get, I get the commitment to the craft, but it's, it's important to have like a mental health break every now and then. It's absolutely important. And I think we do a good job at scheduling ourselves now with the amount of uh, help that we have with our guys that, you know, we're able to get that time that we need to just recharge. And, you know, we're on during the most critical times. And then when things kind of settle down, we'll, we trust that our guys can handle the job. And, you know, we, we, we get the rest that we need. That's for sure. We, uh, you mentioned Bet Bash um, and meeting us, meeting up with us there. Um, we've used the billion dollar question a lot on this podcast. I believe it actually started at the dinner that we went to at Tao in New York. I got, I'm pretty sure that's where it was first started. I actually remember your answer, Drew, but I'll let Johnny uh, bring it up again and specifically what the scenario is. And I want to see if you actually have the same answer now that you answered at the table, which, um, but th I think this one's an, an interesting question for you specifically. All right. You guys have heard it before the billion dollar flip. I'm going to ask this one pro sports better from Las Vegas, Nevada, Andrew Sukiasian. Did I pronounce that correctly? Close enough. So you're, you're off. I'm offering you a flip right now. 
hypothetical, you get a coin flip, 50-50 odds. If you win the coin flip, you leave with $1 billion. If you lose the coin flip, you leave with zero. There's somebody else here that's offering to buy this flip from you. So they, they get the flip and they're gonna buy you out. What is the lowest amount of money that you would sell, that you would accept to forego slash sell this flip? So your absolute nut low to the dollar. What is it? 500 million and $1. $501. That is the exact same answer. By the way, that is the exact same answer he gave at the table. So credit to him for, for that one. But yes, you're, you're a guy that thinks 100% solely in terms of expected value. All right. Explain your rationale, Drew, because this is, this is like, you're the first person who's actually given this answer, which, you know, obviously if this is a hundred dollar flip, then my answer is going to be the same as yours. I'm going to take $51 or $50 and a penny, but go ahead, explain your rationale. Uh, I mean, obviously, obviously I was being a little facetious there because of, because of the dollar amount, but that's, I mean, in a perfect world, that's the correct answer. Right. But, um, if you're, if you're dealing with something that's 50, 50 and you have the opportunity to say, let's, let's say take, hundred million or 200 million or 300 million um and you can lock that in and guarantee that then you can do a lot with that money uh over the course of a few years versus being left with nothing on the table but in terms of expected value obviously that's the best answer um and i'm i'm a risk taker so i think it would be cool to flip a coin you know <laughs> and uh and actually see what's up so but a realistic answer, I would say somewhere between 100 to 200 million probably is, is, is something that I would be willing to take because I can flip that and I can turn that to a billion. And I, I, I'm confident that we can, we can flip that to, to a lot versus taking on the risk and then getting nothing. And then, you know, to build a billion dollars is not an easy feat. So. I think, yeah, I think that's a fair answer. Uh, we've gone over like the, what I believe are the acceptable answers in the, in the show, in the show notes. I think, listen, like a good perspective is this. Yes. Right now I might have X amount of money. It's going to be very hard to turn that into a billion. If I get 200 mil, now all I have to do is five X that that's now in within realm for me to possibly do. So now, you know, let's say the goal was even to get the billion you can potentially get there. Um, so I think you're on the right train of thought. And I like asking people like you who, you know, like you, you mentioned, like you, you had to come up where at one point it was very difficult and money was not necessarily an issue in terms of eating or anything like that. But it was like, hey, I, I can't be taking this out of the bankroll because I want to grow this. Like I can't be withdrawing 2000 bucks, 5000 bucks all the time. And now to come to a point where you're saying, all right, that's no longer an issue. And obviously, you know, it's not like you're starving or anything like that. So what is the real realistic amount of money? It's a, it's a really, really good thought provoking question for me. I love hearing people's answers and I'm, I don't know if the listeners are sick of it yet. Drop a comment when we tweet this one out, if you're sick about it yet or not, but, uh, or if you like the question, cause we've gotten, um, a lot of people who have submitted their answers via, you know, email or on Twitter. And like I said, some articles written about it already. So we're, uh, we're excited to keep this going and ask it to, uh, the majority of our guests. I actually had someone in the, uh, RAS Slack, the right angle sports Slack who had, had mentioned that he threw it out as a question to his entire classroom to get the results, uh, to see what, what the classroom thought is the results. And it was like, the results were all over the map, man. 
They were like crazy small. And obviously when you're asking like elementary school kids or high school kids, you're going to get very different answers, but there was like no consistency at all. I, it is a good thought provoking question, especially if you're a math teacher asking in a math class for sure. Well, I mean, my thought process on it is this, like anything like, obviously it depends on the individual, right? And where they're at in life. So, I mean, anything less than a hundred million to me, it just seems like, 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 and also the risk preference. Like, I, I like to take risks, um, and anything less than like a hundred million to me is just leaving way too much money on the table. I'd rather take my chances, um, because at that point, it's like we're at a point now where it's like more money isn't really drastically changing the quality of our life. So it's not really about. Uh, you know, changing the quality of our life. It's not about, you know, securing family's future. I've already done that, you know. Um, it's more so what's the most optimal decision given the current set of circumstances. And um, I would say at least 100 mil, personally. Fair enough. Okay, so I guess we, we'll end it off here. And that's a, a very good answer, Drew. We'll end it off here with um, what we have as our circles off closing question, which is if you could go back five years and it doesn't have to be sports betting related. It's actually, in fact, better if it's not. But if you can go back five years and talk to the version of yourself, I guess at that point you're in the restaurant business. What is one piece of advice you would give yourself uh, that would have changed a lot of stuff for you? Yeah, um, I think the best piece of advice that I could have given myself is I would tell my young self, go to larvalabs.com <laughs> and claim every single crypto punk. You're welcome. <laughs> that would have been a, that that would have been a crazy uh a crazy cash i still can't believe there's people who just claim those you know forgot about them for years and then now have like a fortune it's uh it's crazy people say that's a flaw like how can you how can you like these things if people just got them for free and they don't even know what they have but uh i guess sometimes it takes a while if we look like you know 27 28 30 years ago like we didn't even have internet. Like there was no computers in people's houses. So who knows like what's going to happen over the next 20 to 25 years. And I can almost guarantee that it's going to be huge, huge improvements in the technology front that, you know, people are going to think we're, we're stupid at the beginning. So maybe this is the same, maybe it's not, but we're uh, along for the ride. The crazy thing about that it just, just makes me laugh, but like when when the crypto punks got like their first resurgence in in this last year, like people sold portfolios of dozens of punks for like fifty k, and thought it was just like, and those are worth literally like, some of those portfolios would be like five hundred million dollars right now. Yeah, it's, it's ju like when you think about it from that perspective. And they're like, well, I got these all for free. I'm going to make 50K. I'm absolutely laughing right now. Why would I not do this? I got all these offers on my punks. And then within months, it's just like, that is now a nine-figure portfolio. That's, man, crazy. Uh, thanks for joining us this week, Drew. You can follow Drew on Twitter at Armenian Better. Uh, DM him for partnerships if that's something that's interesting, uh, something of interest to you as well. Appreciate it. Say hi to Harut, Drew. Uh, all the best to you and uh, the operation. And uh, happy Thanksgiving as well. You as well. Thanks for having me, guys. Look forward to seeing you guys uh, in Vegas. Super Bowl, Bet Bash. And we got to see you. We got to see you in Toronto sometime this upcoming summer. Or, I mean, listen, now's not a good time for the sporting calendar. And uh, if, if I do look out the. Yeah, we will.
we'll run back Super Bowl. If I if you come to Toronto right now, there's uh, there's snow right outside. Uh, it was a little bit of snow yesterday, so not the best time. But we'll, we'll have to see you here in the summer as well. And just remember, for anyone listening, best advice if you're actually going to place a bet for Super Bowl over the counter. Make sure you're wearing one of the jerseys of one of the teams. So it looks like you're just like a complete homer and, and rooting for someone. Way le- way more likely to get a big bet taken that way than if you're just rolling up there with like a sheet of paper and, and all the bets that you want to make. That's that's not an ideal. It's all about the perception of that, of that teller. So uh, we talked about this, I think, last year's Super Bowl edition. But yes, put on that, that Bucks jersey. I, th- I think the Bucks might be in the Super Bowl again this year. Yeah. Even better. All right, Drew, thanks for joining. Uh, Everybody, if you like the podcast, please rate and review. Uh, We always appreciate it. Retweet, share with all your friends. Uh, Let us know if there's any other guests you want to see or hear from. We are also hoping to launch a video version of the podcast within the next month. Uh, where you'll be able to get uh, you know some more video content. We'll probably try to make it a little bit more uh, more fun. We might get a soundboard and do some sound effects. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> everything uh, to come in this next month. But thank you, Drew. We'll see everybody next week.